Welcome to the HIV and Adolescent Podcast. And here is your host, Chisoni Banda. Good afternoon and welcome to the second edition of the podcast. Yeah, I'm joined by Ngandwe Ngandwe from SAT. And of course, this is your host, Chison Banda. Ngandwe uh, Ngandwe, good afternoon. Good afternoon, thank you. So uh, maybe away from you being Ngandwe Ngandwe, uh, our dear listeners would want to know more about you. So who's Ngandwe Ngandwe? Well, um, I'm a young man, of course. Um, Born and raised in Dola, on the Copper Belt. Uh, my passions are mainly around gaming, music. I, I've, I've spent quite an, um, an amount of time on radio. Um, I'm also a journalist by training. Um, yeah, and I love to play and watch soccer. Um, yeah, and I'm very passionate about young people in general, uh, young people's participation in governance, in health. Um, and of course, uh, in, in global activities per se. So yeah, my passion lies in young people. Uh, so you've been a journalist in Zambia, um, having a number of uh, issues that uh, has been affecting young people, especially things that has to do with uh, comprehensive sexual education. So how have you perceived um, SRHR advocacy in Zambia as at now? Yeah. Um, First of all, I want to mention that SRHR advocacy in Zambia is not something new. Um, I think in the 1990s, uh, through UNFPA, the, the International Conference on Population and Development, ICPD, met, um, I think, in Cairo in the 90s and really discussed that um, SRHR was a thing. It was a real thing. And of course, linking it to HIV, because we know that HIV can be transmitted sexually. Um, and so that's what we're coming from with SRHR advocacy. Of course, over the years, the advocacy has changed in context to include young people, because that is, that is the population that has overtaken the majority, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and so my, my, my perception uh, in terms of the uh, advocacy at country level is that we've made uh, good progress in terms of prioritizing the needs of young people in terms of health, um, but also to make sure that we place a high priority on issues that um, affect the country um, in the light of health. We're looking at issues like uh, HIV, um, looking at STIs, we know that we have an adolescent health strategic plan that has been put in place to respond to adolescent health needs. We also know that we have a national health strategic plan that prioritizes reproductive health as well. And there are other, other things such as the re-entry policy that supports girls that drop out of school because of pregnancy. We also have the um, HIV strategy that makes sure that we tackle the HIV pandemic. We also have goals like the 95-95-95 that seeks to make sure that we test as many people as possible. 95% of the population should know its status. 95% of people that know their status should uh, be on medication. And 95% that are on medication should have their viral load reduced. So those are the strides we've made in SRHR. So I'm pretty, pretty, pretty proud um, of the SRHR advocacy here in Zambia. However, we do have a long way to go 
um, because the, the SDGs as it stands are very ambitious um, in, in saying that we should leave no one behind. So if we have to do that, we have to um, um, not leave anyone behind. That means even those that are in key populations, those are in minority groups, we have to bring them on board. We're also looking at the equal distribution of resources at national level to trickle down to the uh, to the last user, who is my grandmother in in, in Shangobu. Um, yeah, and then there's also the issue uh, of budgets. We need to improve on that. Our budget allocations are very bad, so yeah, we need to also improve on that. So that's my perception um, of SSRHR implementation and Zambia and advocacy. Thank you very much. So uh, you've mentioned um, of advocacy, yeah. And another thing that um, one or our dear listeners, especially those from within Zambia, have noted is the fact that most of the advocacy programs are centered uh, on the line of rail. I find that uh, provinces like Southern Province, Lusaka, uh, the Central Province, as well as the Copper Belt. These are the um, provinces that are mainly benefiting uh, benefiting from uh, advocacy programs in uh, in Zambia. So, and uh, if you look at most of the challenges that we are facing, they are coming from areas like Chipata. They are coming from areas like um, Chinsali. You know. So, how do you think such um, programs? advocacy programs can be uh, taken to these areas and how do you think we're going to help young people from such areas so as to ease the burden of uh, uh, some of these challenges? That's a good question. Well, first of all, you need to understand that this is something that's already in progress. Um, government has embarked, of course, with support from civil society, has embarked on a, um, on a campaign to roll out comprehensive health services, including sexual reproductive health services through what the SDGs are calling universal health coverage. It's a UN-motivated uh, approach. Through this, we're trying to provide the most affordable, the most quality, and the most available healthcare uh, to all people of all corners, from all corners of the country. However, the challenge that you have mentioned is, 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 is quite evident, and this is because of two things. Number one is response. Um, part of advocacy is that when you do your activities, um, you have to collect evidence. And when you collect the evidence, somebody must act upon that evidence. But we see that the resources in Zambia are not evenly distributed. And all the uh, headquarters of government departments are based here in Lusaka. So imagine you doing rescuing 15 girls from child marriages you enroll them in school, but you can't get the Ministry of Education to support them with things like uniforms, to, uh, to support the school even, with the capacity building in terms of how to handle these girls when they come back in school, because everything that's functional or effective is happening in Lusaka. So that's what really deters or um, makes civil society organizations to avoid programming in such areas, is because sometimes it's difficult to harvest those outcomes, because government's uh, response is not as fast as it is here in Lusaka. Here in Lusaka, a meeting like this one, you can easily invite the permanent secretary and they'll be here. But if you're working in Shangombo, you can't invite the permanent secretary. And when you invite someone like the district commissioner there, they're not as knowledgeable as the permanent secretary of the Ministry of Health would be. And that's what's slowing down implementation in, in rural areas. But also it's an issue of capacity, you know, where do cities or do towns and villages have the capacity to keep an organization going? Um, I think you, you, you bear witness that you need certain things to happen for you to run an, an organization successfully. You need to have a bank nearby. 
you need to have um, access to, to to people actually. So imagine if if your organization only has one motorcycle, and then you have to ride it 50 kilometers deep into the rural areas just to reach the beneficiaries. So if you're not prepared for such an assignment, it will be difficult to program in a rural area. And sadly, we don't have a lot of organizations that have the capacity to do that. And so that is why you're seeing a lot of activities happening along the, the line of rail, because that's where the resources are. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. That was so insightful. Um, Talking about comprehensive sexuality education, that's one of the programs that has to do with advocacy in Zambia. And last year, in 2020, we had the issue of uh, some church mother bodies coming on board saying that uh, we have to halt the program of um, have to halt the program of comprehensive sexuality education. So do you think we didn't do enough as activists or ad as advocates uh, to make sure that we promote such programs in uh, secondary schools? Yeah. Um First of all, the pushback against uh, comprehensive sexuality education is not just a Zambian problem. I think this is happening globally. The pushback we've seen pushback happen in South Africa. We've seen pushbacks happen in India, even in America. There's been a lot of pushback against uh, comprehensive sexuality education. However, at national level, I do think we haven't done enough to make sure that um, we have a curriculum that um, everyone is happy with. And by everyone, I mean key stakeholders, such as the religious leaders that you've talked about. Parents also have to be a group that buys into such a curriculum. The learners themselves, and last but not least, the implementers of the curriculum, who are the teachers. These are very instrumental because they are the ones that have to look at this kid's face and tell them these things. So yeah, I think that we, we can do better as a country in making sure that we have a curriculum that everyone is happy with. And by the way, comprehensive sexuality education, in its phrasing, is just that. It's a comprehensive curriculum that talks or teaches kids about their sexuality. Yes. So it, 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 it uses an age-appropriate um, approach. This means that we're not teaching sexuality to young people that are younger than, uh, sorry, that are in young, grades younger than grade five. So it starts from grade five because we understand that by grade five, young people should be asking certain questions about their body and interacting with uh, the opposite sex in, 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 in a different way. So it starts from grade five because of the age appropriate um, approach. All right. Um, thank you very much for that. And uh, something that, um uh, that uh, I've heard or I've come across is the fact that most of these uh, programs like comprehensive research education, some of the people that are implementing um, this program, some are people who haven't yet fully acquired uh, full knowledge, especially on how to, the approach to use it when it comes to, um, to, to, to teaching CSE. So what's your take on that? Well, I do agree with that. Um, because of the approach that CSE uses. It's not an, an examinable subject. It's an integrated subject. That means that a mathematics teacher can pause and talk about sexuality education or somehow, somehow integrate it in his mathematics lesson. An English teacher can do the same, a teacher of social studies, history, and so on and so forth. That's what integrated means. So when it, where it becomes difficult is where a teacher has not had the specific education that enables them to deliver such a curriculum. So then you have people that have conservative views about sexuality. You have people that are religious 
and then you have people that are just genuinely blank and shy about talking about certain things. So if a teacher, a female teacher, stands in front of a class and all she sees is her children, she's not going to talk about issues of sexuality. So I think because of that um, lack of training, uh, we were having a tough time implementing CSE. However, I do want to acknowledge that there has been um, some intensive trainings that civil society organizations have done, especially UNESCO. They've trained quite a number, in thousands actually, quite a number of teachers across the country uh, that are able to implement and deliver comprehensive sexuality education. But there are two things. It's the inadequate training because I think this is this has to be a, uh, a continuous process because teachers graduate every year that enter the teaching service. So it, it has to be as, 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 as frequent as possible. Um, but also it's uh, about teachers understanding their role, that in as much as they're trying to be a parent, they must be cautious and aware that young people need this information. It's not about speaking because you have to, it's speaking because you need to. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, maybe before we even conclude uh, with um, uh, our show, um, do you think our communities are not really clear on the co concept of CSE? No, they are not. And this is because we haven't invested heavily in communicating the, the key message behind comprehensive sexuality education. You see, we have enough evidence to back the existence and relevance of comprehensive sexuality education. But I think that it's the positioning of civil society that sometimes we focus our engagement at problem level and not at partnership level. You see, if the community are partners in delivering comprehensive sexuality education, they'll be well aware of the problems that the absence of CSE can bring and they'll also be aware of the benefits. But right now what they are aware of is only the problem that we have so many teenage pregnancies, so many STIs, but if you tell them straightforward that we want to teach sexuality education in schools, they'll, um, of course, push back because of the, lack, the, level, the lack of understanding of um, the level of emergency that's there. So we need to invest heavily in a multi-sectoral approach to CSE where we need to invest in town hall meetings where organizations go in the community, bring parents, bring nurses, bring pastors, put them in a room, tell them this is what CSE is about, this is why we need it, this is how we are doing it. By the time that this, uh, by the way, there's a, re there's a review committee that's sitting at national level. As we speak down the copper belt, they are accepting submissions from all stakeholders. All you have to do is uh, follow up on where they are sitting and you can go there and make a submission whether or not you think CSE is relevant. So as an organization as such, we made the submission uh, where we were defending the existence of CSE and why we think it should be promoted. And so that's what we need. We need all stakeholders on board so that we're able to defend CSE because this is education that we need. I personally think we need CSE more than we need CTS. Uh, because CSE is about saving lives, okay? If, if, if young people can't figure out their sexuality, they won't figure out the right, the right decisions to make in, within their education system. You and I both went to school and we know that we have friends that, that messed up their lives because they couldn't make the, the right decisions with their sexuality. So you and I wouldn't be here today if we didn't have the little information that we had to make the right decisions. So imagine kids in Dollar that don't have the, the level of exposure you've had to information. They're just there um, having sex with the wrong people with, in the wrong way and um, they end up contracting STIs and miss a lot of 
days and months of school and they're not able to sit for exams properly. So it's such kinds of things that we're talking about. So if we provide comprehensive sexuality education in the school, we'll be able to have a productive citizenry that is contributing positively to, to their national agenda. Thank you very much. So I'm gonna, I, I heard you mentioning um, the issue to do with communication. Uh, what are the proper channels of communication that you think we could have used in order for these people to have a listening ear? Right. So, like I've explained, we, we need to invest in town hall meetings, community-level grassroots interactions. That level of communication is assuring that by the time you're coming up with a final document, there's community acceptance. It's difficult to implement something at national level without support from the grassroots. I think politicians will tell you that, that you can't just implement something at national level without community acceptance. Because when the community resists, then your policy or whatever document you're preparing will fail. So we need to engage the community as much as possible through town hall meetings, taking advantage of community radios, taking advantage of uh, community structures that exist, women's groups, world development committees, organize as many meetings and interactions as possible. Even cooperatives like those that do Chimba or Village Banking, whatever they call those groups, when they sit, somebody must say, go, women, ladies, as am I, I've come to talk about uh, teenage pregnancies, I've come to talk about comprehensive sexuality education. This is what children must learn in school. What do you think? From there, you're collecting evidence, okay, and you are at the same time spreading the message. We also need to inf uh, invest properly in traditional media, uh, which is TV and radio. There's still a lot of people out there that are staying in rural Zambia that are glued to their radios. It's up to us now to take the information to them. Let's utilize the media on a large scale. Let's give as much as information, information as possible. And not just in English, the way we're talking. Right? We need to also translate in Luvale, in Tonga, in uh, Lozi, Lenje, as much as possible. Because English is, in as much as it's the official language in Zambia, it's not the most widely spoken language in Zambia. So we need to invest in translating messages as well. So yeah, and then also for young people, organizations like Agents of Change Foundation that are largely targeting young people, we need to invest in online radio, like we're doing right now. Uh, we need to heavily invest in content curation so that young people have something to listen to, something to read all the time. We can't afford to have young people referring to pornography for sex information, I think that's dangerous because uh, pornography has very little accurate information about sex. So for us to overtake that source of information, we need to flood the internet with as much content as possible. Uh, thank you very much, Ngandu Ngandu. So I um, think even as we come into the end of this program, what's your uh, last, um, what are your last remarks? Well, my last remarks are that thank you so much to Agents of Change for um, taking up this initiative. Uh, with, I think I would speak on behalf of SAT when we say that um, the media is a, is, is a powerful shortcut in terms of delivering uh, key messages to young people, especially relating to their health. We know that young people have a very short attention span. So we think that a podcast or live radio uh, transmission like this one can go a long way in disseminating information. Um, but also I'd like to thank the, the conveners of this meeting that we're at, is it the International HIV Conference for Young People. We feel like such platforms will, able, will uh, empower us to and enlighten us uh, on key issues surrounding our interventions on HIV, but also to help us pick the mind of, of the adolescent and young adult out there. What is it that they're thinking about the current uh, HIV and AIDS response at country level and how we can improve our response. So big ups to agents of change and the conveners of this meeting. Thank you very much. This has been Chisoni Banda with the, uh, my guest Ngandwe Ngandwe. From me and Ngandwe Ngandwe, it's a goodbye.